AMSA AdLib is supported by the academic group. Students on a clinical elective, a rotation, or just observing are required to carry short-term medical malpractice insurance. The academic group offers AMSA members worldwide a 10% discount on this coverage. Visit our website for details at amsa.org academicgroup. Welcome to AMSA AdLib. This is Christine. Joining us this week is Dr. Allison Case, AMSA's Education and Advocacy Fellow. In this episode, we will learn about a grassroots movement promoting Medicare for All. We will also hear more about the expanded and improved Medicare for All Act and where the single-payer movement stands in the era of the Affordable Care Act. Here's Dr. Allison Case. Hey everyone, this is Allison Case, AMSA's Education and Advocacy Fellow, here with the latest advocacy update. Uh, today we're going to be talking about 10-1, which is a movement led by the Students for a National Health Program and their parent organization, Physicians for a National Health Program. As you probably know, one of AMSA's main aspirations is achieving quality, affordable health care for all. To that end, we've historically worked with many different organizations on uh, universal health care, um, including single-payer campaigns. And so today we'll be talking with Vanessa Van Doren, a second-year medical student from Case Western and um, the lead organizer of the 10-1 movement. Uh, so welcome, Vanessa. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. We're excited to have you here, and we're excited to learn more about the 10-1 movement um, and also a little bit about single-payer movements in general and um, what brought us to the point we're at now where we're looking forward to this, uh, this huge movement uh, on 10-1. I thought maybe we could start with a little bit of background from you. So what is the 10-1 movement? 10-1 refers to the date, October 1st, of the first big action planned by Students for a National Health Program, or SNAP, as we like to call ourselves. Um, the official title of the event is the Medicare for All National Day of Action. And the purpose of this day of action is two things. Uh, the first thing we want to do is bring national attention to our failing healthcare system, where even after the Affordable Care Act, 30 million people are still uninsured and tens of thousands of people still die every year from lack of insurance. Uh, we want to point out that the ACA is clearly not affordable enough. And the second thing we want to do is demand for a more just system through the institution of truly affordable care via a single-payer universal system. And I'll talk about what single-payer is a little bit more in a minute. But um, right now we have 42 SNAP chapters across the country, and we're working to get every chapter involved in this uh, day of action. We also have a bunch of co-sponsoring student organizations, like AMSA, obviously. Um, you've been a longtime supporter of single-payer. Uh, the Latino Medical Student Association, White Coats for Black Lives, universities allied for essential medicines, uh, and the California Health Professional Student Alliance, and more groups are joining every day. Um, so they'll also be planning events at different campuses. This is really going to be a student-led movement. And so schools across the country um, will participate in different ways. Some people will invite patients, healthcare providers, students, uh, and other members of the community to give brief speeches about how our current for-profit insurance system has affected their lives, and also the lives of their patients, family, and friends. Uh, some schools will hold teach-ins to help communities educate each other about the problems in our current system and why we need universal single-payer healthcare. And then everyone uh, will participate in a unifying candlelight vigil at the end of the day to mourn the tens of thousands of people who die every year from uninsurance and underinsurance. So I was wondering... If you could give us a little bit of background on what you mean when you say single-payer. What is single-payer healthcare exactly? Um, so, so universal healthcare specifies who gets care, everyone, obviously, 
but it doesn't specify how we pay for it. Um, so that's basically, that's where single payer comes in. Um, single payer refers to the way we pay for universal health care. So instead of having multiple for-profit insurance companies with all the associated costs, the administrative overhead, the marketing costs, the massive CEO salaries, so on, we have a single payer, the U.S. government, that's responsible for collecting taxes to fund quality health coverage for everyone and then paying health professionals and hospitals for the services that they provide. And because the U.S. already spends so much money on health care, we actually spend over 17% of our GDP on health care right now. We actually have a lot of money to work with. Uh, Single-payer is extremely cost-effective. Countries with a single-payer system actually spend much less. They spend about 9 to 12% of their GDP on healthcare, and they cover everyone. Um, so by having one payer with one set of rules and regulations, um, everything being very transparent and reducing all of this administrative waste, we would actually be able to cover everyone. There would be no more marketing costs. The administration would be very simplified, like I just said. And we'd also have no more profits generated from denying care to sick people. Um, And a recent study actually showed that implementing a single-payer system in the United States would provide over $400 billion a year saved on bureaucratic waste. And this is enough to provide first-dollar coverage to everyone in the U.S. without increasing our healthcare spending. And so one concern with sweeping reform is the challenge of establishing a completely new system and infrastructure. It seems like a big task. However, uh, we already have a single-payer-like subdivision of our insurance system in the U.S., and we call that Medicare. So Medicare has been around for 50 years, um, and it covers people who are over 65 years old. And in the 50 years since we've had Medicare, um, we've seen greatly reduced uh, poverty rates for elderly Americans. So it's very effective. It's very cost effective, too. Only um, 2 to 3% of Medicare's budget goes to administrative overhead, compared to about 20% for private insurance. So basically, a single-payer system would work for all Americans like Medicare currently works for elderly Americans. The idea is to improve and expand upon this existing infrastructure to cover everyone. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about kind of what led us to this moment. So a little bit about the recent history of the single-payer movement in the U.S. Um, Yeah, and how we got here. Sure. The most recent health reform is the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, or the ACA, or Obamacare. Um, And so in 2009, the original debate about health reform was supposed to include the single-payer bill, which is H.R. 676, but it was never debated. Uh, the single-payer advocates were excluded from the debate. So many physicians and other advocates were actually arrested for raising the single-payer option in national debates. So then the ACA went, was signed into law in 2010, and then in 2014 it actually went into effect. And the ACA did improve a lot of things. Uh, it improved and standardized insurance coverage, so it ended pre-existing condition exclusion. So if you, you know, saying you had cancer, you were in remission, you changed jobs and were trying to get new insurance, 10 years ago, um, an insurance company could actually say, no, we're not going to insure you, you're too high risk, which is horrible. That's illegal now. So that's a good thing. It ended lifetime caps on coverage, uh, mandated a lot of preventative screening. Um, we also expanded Medicaid, which is a great thing. Um, this is supposed to have happened in every state, but many states were later able to opt out. Um, And what this means, Medicaid um, covers people that make below the federal poverty line. And so last year, the federal poverty line for an individual was under $12,000, just to put some numbers to this. Um, So expanded Medicaid means that in states that choose to expand, um, if you make 133% of the federal poverty line, which would have been about $16,000 per person, you are eligible for Medicaid. But still, if you think about the average medical cost for a family with employer-based insurance, um, it's still over $8,500 a year, and it's way more expensive if you, if you purchase your own. It's like $20,000 a year on average if you don't have an employer um, sharing the cost. So this still you know, doesn't do enough to cover everyone. Um, 
another big thing about the ACA is that they have this individual mandate. So you're required to have health insurance. And if you don't, you have to pay hundreds of dollars a year. So there's this double hit of people who can't afford health insurance. They remain uninsured and then they have to pay hundreds of dollars a year because of it. And so after the ACA, the situation now and the reason that we need single payer reform is that we still have 30 million uninsured people. We have tens of millions of people that are still underinsured, meaning that they won't be able to pay all the out-of-pocket expenses if they get sick. We're still spending way too much as a country. We spend over 17% of our GDP on healthcare, um, and our health outcomes still lag way behind other industrialized nations. We have lower life expectancy, we have much higher infant mortality, and much higher preventable deaths than other countries. And we're still ranked last by the Commonwealth Fund. They do a study every year comparing 11 highly developed countries on measures of quality, efficiency, and access, and we're always at the bottom of the pile. Um, And also, this disproportionately affects poor people and minorities. They're really bearing the brunt of uninsurance and poor health outcomes. Okay, thanks, Vanessa, for that background. You mentioned earlier that part of the 10-1 movement is going to be to mobilize around the Expanded and Improved Medicare for All Act, or H.R. 676. So can you tell us a little bit about that bill? Sure. H.R. 676 is the big federal single-payer bill, and it lays out what the transition to single-payer would look like in the United States. So H.R. 676 would create a publicly financed, privately delivered healthcare system that improves and expands on the already existing Medicare program. Um, It would expand it to all U.S. residents. So the goal is to ensure that all Americans have access guaranteed by law to the highest quality and most effective healthcare services, and that they'd have this access regardless of their their employment status, their income, or their health status. So basically, it would make healthcare a fundamental right in the United States. Um, Every resident of the United States would receive a card at birth that would guarantee access to a full range of medically necessary services. This would include primary care, dental, prescription drugs, mental health, substance abuse treatment, long-term care, and a bunch of other stuff. It would be very comprehensive. And there would be no restrictions on choice of physician or provider. You could see anyone in the United States. And this would eliminate out-of-pocket expenses. Um, And then in terms of cost containment and reimbursement and stuff like that, um, the way that would work is that we would negotiate reimbursement rates annually with physicians and allow for global budgets. So it would be a monthly lump sum for operating expenses that would go to each hospital. Um, we negotiate prices for prescription drugs, medical supplies, and equipment, and that's a really big part of this. Right now, Medicare and other government insurance agencies are not allowed to negotiate with the pharmaceutical industry to lower drug prices, and so that's why in America we pay two to three times as much for medications and for devices as every other country um, pays. They pay much less because they're able to use that power of one large payer to negotiate down prices. Um, The system would be very transparent. Um, We would standardize costs of medications and services. You'd be able to actually look up how much something costs, which is, you can't do that now. If you try to, you know, if if you've ever ever had an MRI coming up or something like that, and you try to call your hospital and say, hey, how much is that going to cost me? They usually can't tell you. And it can be, you know, there's wide um, variability in cost between hospitals right now. And so what would happen uh, under a single-payer system, we would establish a trust fund to ensure a dedicated stream of funding. And all the money would be pooled into this one account. And so after a single-payer system is enacted, 95% of households would pay less than they do now for all their health care costs. And actually, most businesses would, too, because employers would no longer be providing insurance to their employees, so that cost would be gone. Um, We'd also have big savings from reduced administration, from bulk purchasing, and coordination among providers. Um, And like I said before, this would save about $400 billion per year. Um, And so the the sources of funding, the the biggest source of funding would be just maintaining our current federal funding, um, pooling the funds that we use on Medicare, 
Medicaid CHIP, which is a children's health insurance program for low-income kids, and all the VA money um, would be pooled into one trust fund. And we, would, we also might increase personal income tax on the top 5% of income earners. There might be a modest tax on unearned income and a small tax on stock and bond transactions. But that, those would be very, very small um, because there, we would save so much money just from streamlining and getting rid of all that administrative waste that that's where the majority of the funding would come from. And so just to talk a little bit about the bill itself, it's currently sponsored by Representative John Conyers. He's a Democrat from Michigan. And it's co-sponsored by 49 House Democrats. And it was uh, the most recent version was reintroduced this February. And it's been introduced in every Congress since 2003. And the bill is also supported by 26 international unions. Um, it's supported by Physicians for a National Health Program, which is the parent organization to SNAP. They currently have 20,000 members, um, just doctors across the country, who support single payer. And they've been around since 1987. Um, National Nurses United supports the single payer bill. AMSA, obviously... Uh, the Progressive Democrats of America, the NAACP, and a bunch of other organizations. Great. It's, it sounds like, you know, you said this bill has been introduced every uh, session of Congress since 2003. So what have been some of the significant barriers that, that the bill has, has faced over the years? And, and maybe what are those barriers now? I think um, one of the biggest barriers is both misunderstanding, like, maybe not so much on like the government level, but just on an individual or like a public consciousness level is either misunderstanding what single payer is or just not understanding, not knowing what it is at all. People don't know what single payer is. It's not a very intuitive name. Um, When you ask people if they support universal health care, polls show that over half of Americans do, but then it kind of breaks down when you talk about implementation and bills and like what's actually going on now. Um, I think um, the socialist tag is another issue. Um, Sort of like, you know, when you when you go through the history, that's always a thing that um, is, is used as ammunition to try to shoot down the idea. Um, but I think reminding people that we socialize many things in the United States, our police force, firefighters, education, roads, and then, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, VA, and CHIP um, is important. I think people don't really think of those things. Once you have a baseline of something being covered, you just sort of forget that it's there, you know? Um Single payer would not be revolutionary. In fact, it's sort of the opposite of revolutionary because we're the only developed country in the world that doesn't cover all of its citizens. So we'd be catching up with the rest of the world, really. Um, I think there's a fear of wait times. Canada has long wait times, but wait times aren't actually intrinsic to a single payer system. Taiwan has had single payer for 20 years and their wait times are shorter than they are in the United States. Um, And I think the, the final big hurdle is that insurance companies do have a lot of power. And I think um, there are sort of two ways to fight this. The first way would be to push to reduce the power insurance companies and money and interest have in U.S. politics, which is sort of like a whole other discussion. <laughs> but um, Lawrence Lessig, he's a Harvard lawyer and professor. He's leading the fight for this. Uh, he started something called the May Day PAC. And this is uh, a group that is convincing elected officials to support legislation to reduce corruption and how campaigns are funded. Funded, So that's huge. And I think, you know, repealing Citizens United, things like that will allow a more representative democracy and reduce the power that insurance companies have to be able to lobby politicians to do what they want. Um, The other way that I think we can fight insurance companies is just sort of like mobilizing around the fact that nobody really likes insurance companies. Everybody has a story about coverage being denied to them or to a friend or family member. And I think when people really sit down and think about what insurance companies do, they profit off of people being sick and they profit off of denying those people care. People know that insurance companies are doing something fundamentally morally wrong. 
You shouldn't profit off of illness or death of other human beings. Illness is something that can happen to anyone. It can affect anyone. And when people realize this and learn that there's a better alternative, I, I know that we can mobilize people around this. When I bring up single-payer healthcare with people, and particularly HR 676, uh, people will tell me, oh, this is a symbolic bill. You know, like there's no chance that this will ever actually pass. And what do people, do you ever get that response? And what do you say to that? Yeah, so I, I do get that response a lot. And um, I think it's important to think about how long it takes to actually get the big reform like this passed. It's a really long fight. And a lot of times, by the time the majority of the public hears about something, it's been in the works for years and often decades. So um, I was at a conference back in May in Columbus. Um, it was for the Single Payer Action Network, SPAN, which is the Ohio Single Payer Group. And um, they, Ben Day, which is the, he's the head of healthcare now, um, he was doing like the, the main talk. And he showed something called the Movement Action Plan, which is a graph um, showing the eight big steps to a big social change. And kind of like running through this, um, this graph were these three lines tracking public awareness of a problem, public opposition to the status quo, and then public support for alternatives. And those three lines don't really go up until like, you know, step seven or step eight. So really, by the time people start to hear about what single payer is, what universal health care is, why it's so important, we're, we're sort of at the end of the road. And even though it feels like a long road, just like having people talk about it, having, you know, politicians are talking about it. Bernie Sanders is running on a single payer platform. Um, there's been many single payer state based bills that have almost passed or passed and then like not worked out yet. But we're getting to that critical point, I think, where people are really starting to hear about it. And I think the change will be coming within, you know, hopefully very soon. <laughs> 10-1 um, is coming up in the fall. How can students get involved? The reason that I think everyone should get involved is that we, as medical students, as nurses, as doctors, as healthcare providers, are all greatly affected by the system we're working in. So our ability to effectively care for people is severely hindered within our current system. And I think the biggest complaint from physicians now is that they spend more time on paperwork, filing insurance claims, and fighting insurance companies than they do on their patients. And I think doctors and nurses just want to do the jobs that they were trained for. And when people die from treatable illness because they can't afford to go to the hospital, healthcare professionals are not able to do their jobs. Uh, when sick people are unable to work and lose their insurance, which plunges them into insurmountable medical debt, bankruptcy, and poverty, we're not able to do our jobs. And so the system that we all work in is actively harming our patients. And if we do nothing to stop it, I think that we're complicit in that harm. And I mean, even with medical students, you know, I think I think we're often reluctant to get involved because, well, in part, you know, we have this uh, massive amount of debt. A lot of us we're overwhelmed by school. We're trying to just kind of like toe the line so that we're able to graduate and get a job and pay down the debt. But if you look at all of the time and effort we put into exams, board preparations, rotations, residency, all that student loan debt, the 80 hour work weeks, so on. We're doing this because we consider helping others live happy, healthy lives to be the highest calling. And if after all of that, we're unable to effectively help people who need it the most, you know, what was the point? So that's sort of why I think medical students in particular and health professionals in general should get involved. And so uh, in the immediate sense, you can join the 10-1 event. Um, you can go to our Facebook page to stay up to date. If you just log into Facebook and search 10-1 Medicare for All Day of Action, it'll come up. It's got like a big red banner at the top. You can also go to our website directly, student.pnhp.org. And that has all the information about the event and about our group in general. 
Um, if your school has a snap chapter, you can get your chapter registered to hold a 10-1 event and start planning. And we actually, we have a toolkit um, that has a timeline. I'll be sending weekly emails to help people plan. We'll be holding a webinar. So we'll make it very easy um, for you to, to hold an event at your school. And even if you don't have a snap chapter, you can join the movement through AMSA or through any of the organizations I mentioned before. And you can even start a snap chapter at your school. And then in the long term, I think advocating for more health systems education is really important. So Case Western, where I go to school, has 130 SNAP members right now, and our chapter's been around for eight months. And we also have a month and a half of health systems, public health, and social determinants of health education at the beginning of first year. And I don't think it's a surprise that we have such a strong movement for single-payer after all that education. I think people generally accept the status quo, and med students are particularly busy, so we're not often aware of what's going on. But if you show people how wasteful and harmful our current system is, most will be pretty horrified, and I think many will want to help fix it. You can also educate yourself uh, more about single-payer and about universal health care. PNHP.org has some great resources, and you can speak out to friends and family. You can write op-eds and letters to the editor. You can submit articles about why you support universal health care to the SNAP blog. That's student.pnhp.org. And then there's a bunch of other sites, KevinMD, InTraining.org, AMSA has a blog. Uh, and then I think finally, just voting and voting for politicians who support universal health care and calling your local representatives to tell them why this is so important. Those are all a bunch of different ways that you can help push this movement forward. Your white coat grants you a lot of social status. I think sometimes med students don't think about that, but we're a group of really privileged individuals, and I think we should use that stature to speak out against injustice. And we're also very uniquely positioned to examine and improve healthcare because we work within the system every day. Um, so I think, you know, we have all the information and power we need, and now is the time to act. If healthcare providers don't fight for a more just system for our patients and also just for the integrity of our profession, who will? So I really think it's on us to be um, a very big vocal part of this movement. Great. Thanks a lot. A lot of different ways to get involved with advocacy around this issue. So that's really exciting. Well, thanks so much for talking with us, Vanessa. This has been a really good background on single payer and uh, the 10-1 movement. And we'll look forward to joining you guys on 10-1. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And, and thanks for your support. I'm really excited to work together on this. What do you think of AMSA AdLib so far? Let us know at adlib at amsa.org. That's A-D-L-I-B at A-M-S-A dot org. I'm your host for this episode, Christine Camizio. This episode was created by Pete Thompson, Allison Case, and myself with help from Carol Clark. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer. AMSA AdLib is available through iTunes, so you and your friends can subscribe directly through your iPhone's podcast or iTunes apps. Thank you for listening. AMSA AdLib is supported by the Academic Group. Students on a clinical elective, a rotation, or just observing are required to carry short-term medical malpractice insurance. The Academic Group offers AMSA members worldwide a 10% discount on this coverage. Visit our website for details at amsa.org slash academic group.